0: That you can use in your own classroom for more information about music first please visit www.musicfirst.com there you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial jenny little lives with her partner of 39 years in auckland new zealand and is the mother of two adults jenny is currently the learning area leader for performing arts and music specialist at hobsonville point secondary school She completed a Master of Music degree with honors in Ethnomusicology and Composition at Auckland University. Her thesis embodied the research about traditional music she undertook while living for six months on the islands of Atu, Mauke and Mishiro in the Cook Islands. Jenny is a highly respected music educator and has worked as an education consultant for the New Zealand Music Industry Commission, the Ministry of Education and NZQA. Jenny is currently on the program advisory committee for MAINZ and is the current chair of the National Music Subject Association, MENZA. She has taught every level of musical development from early childhood to tertiary levels. Through her company, Chimera, she has published six educational resources used in hundreds of schools and other learning institutions throughout New Zealand and overseas. So for this episode of the podcast, I have a guest from perhaps as far away from New York City as you can possibly get. Um, Jenny Little teaches in New Zealand, so definitely uh, a, a far away place uh, for us here in New York. Jenny, welcome to the, uh, to the podcast. I'm really glad you can make it. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So you came very highly recommended by my good friend, Keith Huxtable, uh, and he told me a little bit about you and your story and what your and uh, your affiliations and uh, your leadership roles. But um, I much prefer you uh, to to give us the to give us the uh, kind of thumbnail sketch yourself. But why don't you get started? Um, you know, I'm I'm sure that our listeners will be fascinated um, with how music programs and and learning music in New Zealand is similar and different. than the the way we do it in the United States. So why don't you give us your, like how you got started in music all the way up to where you're teaching now at Hobsonville Point Secondary School.
1: Um, Kia ora koutou, ko Jenny Little toko So I've just introduced myself. My name is Jenny Little and that's the um, indigenous language of New Zealand, uh, which is Maori or te reo. Uh, So I was very attuned to music from a very young age. I used to love to dance around the living room. I recall dancing around to the Hall of the Mountain King um, (laughs) on on vinyl with with great energy and joy. And my mother tells the story of when I was at kindergarten, which is preschool, um, her arriving one day and there I was in the water trough completely naked, (laughs) dancing around full of joy in life. And one of the kindy teachers said, just keep encouraging that. It's just such a beautiful thing to see.
0: That's great. Um,
1: yeah, my, my first kind of formal learning in music was beginning piano lessons at about seven years old. Um, I went to a Catholic school, so I learned from the nuns in the convent. Um, they were quite scary, and a lot of my teaching methodology and approach is the opposite of theirs. Yeah, <laughs> <and I think laughs> that's great. <laughs> I made a conscious decision that I would not be a teacher who teaches from a fear-based perspective. Um, I was very fearful of my very first piano teacher, and I'm really grateful to my mum for supporting me and keeping me going. Um, I opted into music at high school, and I learned the violin for a year, but to be honest, I was really crap at it, (laughs) and it just didn't seem to sort of suit my, my physicality. I felt like my fingers weren't Violin fingers. So, in what would be my year 10 or fourth form, I went along to a gig by the police and I saw Sting playing the double bass. And I thought, oh, there's a double bass at school. I want to learn that. So, I started to learn the double bass. Um, And that was one of the best things I ever did because double bass and bass guitar fingering is the same. That kind of got me to the bass guitar. So, I had this dual life where I was, you know, playing in the the secondary school's orchestra, but also in a band on the bass. Um, So I'm an unusual music teacher in that I'm equally comfortable in the classical world and the contemporary music world, Um, you know, popular music and stuff as well. So um, I left school a year early. I applied to Auckland University School of Music and was quite surprised to get in, but I did get in. And I arrived there and I just, I I really blossomed. It was definitely the right space for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And being a double bass player, I got so many opportunities because we were quite rare. Um, I did a Bachelor of Music, uh, sort of focused on composition and musicology. And then in my master's degree, I actually focused on ethnomusicology and I went to the Cook Islands which is about four hours north of New Zealand and I lived on three islands, outer islands, for six months and I did some research on the traditional music of toru which are the three islands together have a collective name. So the three islands were Mōkei, Atiu and Mitiaro. Um, I was the only papa'a on those islands for a period of time, that means visitor or um, sort of so obviously not from those islands. Right. So there were days when I craved some conversation in English. Um, and I realised very quickly that when I heard the words, they were talking about me because I was actually the only white person on the island. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot, I think Being in the Cook Islands and experiencing music in a totally different cultural context really, really shaped my view of the truth about music and the idea that music is for everyone. Um, There are no barriers to learning music on those islands. Everyone is considered to be musical. There's no concept that people can't sing or can't play. Um, Everyone takes part in music making. So, yeah, that was a real eye-opener. That's
0: fantastic.
1: Yeah, you know, it definitely changed me. And to be in a minority for the first time in my life, too, really opened my eyes to how other people experience life in the spaces where they live, especially if they're a minority and some of the things that can can happen in that sort of situation. Um, After my master's degree, I did a diploma in teaching. So... At that point in time, there wasn't a specialist degree that you could do to become a music teacher. You, you did a music degree and then you did your, your teaching degree. Mm-hmm. But I believe there is a degree now at Auckland University that you can train as a teacher and it's an all-in-one package. All right. Um, when I was at university, I was unusual because the, the, most of the teaching and the learning was classically based. And I was also going to gigs every week. So I was also seeing local bands and international bands. So that was a little bit unusual. Uh, Since then, I have taught continuously for 34 years. I haven't gone, yeah, I know, I know. I haven't um, gone for management jobs. I really feel like the best of me is actually in the classroom. I'm definitely at my best when I'm a teacher. I love teaching. If I won Lotto tomorrow, I would still do some teaching. Right. Um, I, yeah, so apart from taking some time out for having two children, yeah, I've, I've been teaching continuously for 34 years.
0: That's incredible.
1: I, currently, I'm the chair of MENSA, which is the subject association for music education in New Zealand, Aotearoa, um, which has been a really exciting position to be in. I I'll and bet. The last couple of years in particular have been, there's been some major challenges, but I'm really quite proud of the way the board have navigated through some of these challenges. Um, I'm also on the New Zealand Music Commission board. I'm the first New Zealand teacher to hold a position on that board. And that's a a governing body that uh, supports the music industry. And with COVID last year, we've been um, ratifying decisions of, around funding to keep the music industry alive, to keep venues alive, to keep uh, the infrastructure, the lighting people, the sound people. um, Also covering bands who have had to cancel gigs and things, supporting them financially. Um, And then last year, there's a new subject alliance that's formed called Firimanga. Firimanga means a braided river. So it's a river that entwines many, many streams together. Mm -hmm. And that is the visual arts, drama, dance and music subject associations. And we've decided to form an alliance to really advocate for arts education in New Zealand uh, because we're seeing a sort of a, a loss of arts education, especially at primary school levels. And that's having an impact on the kids that I'm meeting at secondary school who haven't had much access to music education. So we're really, really passionate about that. I've taught in a variety of schools. My very first school was a Catholic girls' school. And I've really enjoyed that because there were lots of Maori and Pacific Island young women in my classroom. And I, have, I, I feel like I have a real affinity with um, those students, those learners culturally because of my experience in the Cook Islands. But also I've been very fortunate that my aunties and uncles have all married Pacific Island partners, so I have a Samoan uncle and I have a Niuean uncle and I have a Cook Island auntie. So I've been surrounded by those cultures and I've, I've always felt very comfortable. So I was able to be a very effective teacher to those students. And my teaching style, I've, it's, it's interesting that the way I've always taught has always been about the relationship building first, getting to know your students really well so that you can best teach them. Um, I've always tried to be on a first-name basis with my students. It's been my preference. And my style is to, uh, to, to be student-led rather than teacher-led. Yep. So that's what I felt was right, even though I couldn't see it anywhere else in my first school. And I know that some of the nuns were a little bit concerned that that's how I was teaching. But the relationships I built and watching where those young women went is the evidence for me that it was effective and powerful teaching? I'm still in touch with some of those women, and oh, that's great. Yeah, no, it's it's just delightful to get together with them, and and you know they're in their forties now and they're becoming grandmothers, so I feel really uh, elderly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've made my way through a few different schools. They've all been fairly traditional schools. They've got very standard timetables. Usually in New Zealand it's a one-hour lesson and you might see your music class three or four times a week. Um, Getting to Hobsonville Point Secondary School has been an absolute revelation. It's a modern learning environment so it doesn't look like a school I've ever taught in before and they have kind of destructured the timetable in a way that allows us to do co-teaching. So We have spins, which are special interest, which is just music. And then we have modules, which is where one or more subjects come together and teach the the knowledge of those subjects alongside each other or through. So currently I'm doing a music and maths module um, called Polyhymnia. And Polyhymnia is the muse of both maths and music. And so we're teaching maths and music together and it's very just cool. amazing it's 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 the way it should be we shouldn't be siloed and separated off from each other in my opinion we really I couldn't agree
0: together. more it's it's wonderful yeah. to hear very cool
1: yeah so it's a lot of um, project-based learning um, as I said before it's very student-led I'm learning I learn so much from my students and In uh, pedagogy in New Zealand, some of the expectations we have are things like Ako, which means um, reciprocal learning. So I'm open to lessons from my students as they are open to lessons from me. Um, One of the lovely things about Hobsonville Point is it's not synchronous learning. So I am literally moving around my space, meeting the needs of each individual or group as they need me rather than today we're going to learn about this concept. I'm kind of teaching it as they need it, when they need it. Right. Um, and that's, it, it's you've got to have energy to do that. And you've also got to be prepared to maybe unlock that power structure that teachers sometimes um, assume in their classroom. So I've really enjoyed the sort of flat uh, power sharing, where the students are equally as important and have agency to make some decisions for themselves as well.
0: My it's, leadership it's is- fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I'm, 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 I'm completely entranced by what you're saying. It just sounds, uh, you know, I, I teach at a teacher's college, Columbia University in New York City, and we are known as like the, 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 the birth of constructivism in, um, in, in education. And it's all focused on that student-centered learning, and when mm. the students are leading it, it, it like you said with agency, they 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 tend to really um, love learning um, when they have some say in what they're learning. So it's it's wonderful to hear that that you're able to do that.
1: I absolutely agree, and it's amazing who you draw to you when you teach in that method. Yep. So I I. What's that? I'm trying to think of the right words to, to to use for this, but often the kids who are quite challenging in other spaces, and sometimes you know that they, they are challenged themselves in their lives and what what lived experience they're having, they do seem to, to be drawn to me, yep. and drawn to music, and I often find that, um, and just sitting down and talking to them, you can draw the most extraordinary things from them, and. They are deeply respectful of of me um, because I have taken the time to get to know them properly and to really build a program to their their special um, passions. So I've got a couple of young men at the moment who people would consider them to be naughty and and challenging, but when they come to music, they just bloom. And it's because they're allowed to sit and work on their beats and they're working on their... Their rap and they're feeling, you know, strong, and they they stand up against their their classmates who are beautiful violin players, and they feel equally as proud of their beats and and their performance through rap as my violinist feels, and it's wonderful that everyone can coexist in that that space and feel really relevant and feel really valued. Yep. Um, yeah, we we is- are so
0: much on the same page. We're separated for about as many miles as you can be separated. And yeah. uh, and I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying in that for me, when I taught at the, the middle school level, uh, so 11 to 14 year olds, and many music teachers are, are truly afraid of that age group because they can be challenging. They can um, push your buttons, as we say. They can try and 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 I always found that when you show respect to students and when you show interest in their lives, in their music, um, and when you talk to them as, as people rather than, you know, um, kind of, uh, you know, robots, if you will, um, they, they love you. And, and everyone, I mean, and I mean love. They, they just love the class. They love coming. They feel like it's a safe place for them that they can have they can blow off a little steam, they can learn. Uh, I, I I totally am on the, it must be, I'm a tuba player, so it must be something about the people who play on the low end of things. Uh, it's, it's really wonderful to hear. Um, yeah, no. What? Um, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'd love to hear about your, your music program um, that you have now. Um, and and uh, so I'm, I'm, we're hearing bits of it, but like what 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 does it consist of? What does a day uh, in music look like for students in your school?
1: Um, at the moment, I so we we don't separate our year nines and tens. We actually put them together in classes, so they're like our juniors. Um, so that we call them foundation students. So right. currently, I have a foundation spin. So that's a special interest music subject. And last term that was called Muse Cult because at school we teach to a big theme. The whole school is teaching to a big theme so that there's some continuity across all of the subjects. So Mm. last term's um, big theme was culture and diversity. So Muse Cult was musical culture. Mm. Uh, And we did a lot of learning. I basically used the students in class. I got them to teach... um, sort of a block each around their musical cultural background. So I had students from the Pacific islands talk about the music of, of where they lived or where they were born. I had some New Zealand Maori students talking about the indigenous music of, of Aotearoa New Zealand. Uh, I had a student who was Danish talking about their folk music from, from, from where they were, where their um, ancestors came from. Um, I did some stuff about Celtic music because that's kind of my cultural background. So they were listening to, they had to find links for, they showed videos. Some of them taught us a song, which was really wonderful. Um, A Tuvaluan boy taught us a song from Tuvalu. So we all learned to play that on the ukulele. So it's a very organic kind of uh, program structure. And I do plan, but I don't plan it to within an inch of its life. We can pivot in a moment and follow something that's popped up. So that was my spin. My module um, is Polyhymnia, which is the music maths one. So we've done all sorts of incorporating just the learning of music, looking at the relationships between note values and looking at pitch and frequency, um, using numbers and then mathematical concepts as well. Um, So the senior program, uh, we call them qualification students, because that's the first year of formal music qualification, well actually formal assessments in New Zealand. So we've got NCEA, which is the National Certificate in Educational Achievement, which is our kind of um, assessment for qualifications. Uh, The qual ones do a mix of composition, performance as soloists, performance as groups. Um, some musical knowledge stuff and some theory. Uh, Pretty much everyone in my class is on a different pathway. So some people are doing composition and others aren't, and some people are doing performance. Performance and composition tend to be the ones that the kids most enjoy. Right. Um, The kids who have had the privilege of having some private music education often enjoy the the theory-based stuff. So not all of the learning is wrapped around notation. That's been an interesting area that's um, causing a lot of discussion on MusicNet. So MusicNet is the uh, it's like a music teacher's listserv email service. Yep. Um, we, we often ask questions and, and look for resources and things. And then I have a QUAL 2-3 class. So that's um, year 12 and year 13, which is the final year at school. Um, and that's quite similar to the Qual ones, but there are additional research standards and investigation standards. Um, we also have some unit standards around music technology, so sort of PA, audio, um, live mixing, event mixing, things like that as well. So we have four blocks a day. Um, I have a hub, so a hub is like a form class, um, and I have a range of ages in my hub. Hub is considered to be learning time. So we spend quite a bit of time with our with our hub. Mm-hmm. And we are basically their coaches. So we we are following their progress, making sure that they are on track to get their qualifications that they need to go into the courses and the learning or the vocation that they're they're heading towards at the end of school.
0: So you're really providing a, a comprehensive music education that is focusing on the student. Um, and developing them to be the best musician they can be on whatever instrument or voice type they are, um, right? I mean, that, thats Would that be an easy way of saying it?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, pretty much.
0: So, do you not have like performance ensembles during the day or anything like that, or is it is it mostly individual
1: based? Um, so that's one thing I've noticed about the American uh, music education system is that you actually have band and you have. Um, choir classes. Some would argue,
0: some would argue that's all we have. I, I mean, a lot of music programs do, uh, and, and most music programs in the United States provide, you know, a comprehensive approach. But band, chorus, orchestra is the primary thrust of uh, American music education, period.
1: Right. And I actually, last year, I had a class called Sing, and I I let the kids know that in every single class, we will sing, just so that I didn't get kids taking it who really didn't want to sing. Yeah, and that was probably similar to the American model. And so every lesson, when we we got together, we sang, we learned songs and parts, we explored songs from um, other parts of the world. One of my other things that I do is I run um, vocal groups, and I've got a passion with my ethnomusicology for music that's not from Western art music traditions. So. Right. I'm just as happy to teach a song from Croatia as I am to teach a song from Zimbabwe as I am to teach a song from from Ireland. So That's great. yeah, so we did a lot of singing, and that was that was just for some of the kids that took that that class. That was just the most wonderful space, and we we were sad when we finished, but I'll I'll do it again. So uh, so
0: I'm going to shift now to um to COVID and how, mm-hmm. if any, I mean. You, you obviously can see the news, I'm sure, and see how incredibly uh, ham-fisted we've been with our approach. It, it seems as though, you know, for the most part, um, you, the the people of New Zealand have done an incredible job keeping things under control. I'm wondering what the impact is was on your on your school and on your music program.
1: Yeah. Um... Absolute credit to our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern for the way she handled our She's a rock
0: star over here, by the way. We we love her.
1: Oh, we love her too. We're just so, so grateful. Um, So for us, we have, so nationally as a country, we've had one lockdown, which was a complete and absolute lockdown, which was about seven weeks long, and that started just over a year ago. Mm -hmm. When we came out of the lockdown, we had a a long period where we kind of went to to level one, we were all back at school. Then we had another lockdown of about two weeks in sort of August of last year. And since then in Auckland, which is where I'm based, we've had two further lockdowns this year, um, which has just been in response to some cases in the community that they weren't quite sure where they um, had picked that up from. One was centered around a school actually. Mm. Um, so we haven't had as much disruption as the rest of the world. But my approach with the lockdowns was to grab all the um, free music software. It was brilliant the way the music industry just made it available to the kids. So they could yep. get you know, a three month access to, Melodics or a three-month access to Noteflight or SoundCloud or that was wonderful. So I made sure I, I gave that to the kids, gave them the link so that they could um connect and keep making music basically. Um it was also great we used Zoom to have um classes. I was really pleased with the way my school handled it. They didn't expect us to stay chained to a laptop for the full day and do the full lesson with the kids as the timetable ran. We kind of uh, committed to putting work up for the kids to do in Google Classroom on a Monday morning. So the work was in there by 9.30 and then meet up with your class once online during the week, check in on everybody, um, make sure they understood what the work was you were asking them to do and then to just leave them alone to get on with it. Most kids responded pretty well. Some kids loved lockdown and produced more work than they they would have when they were at school. Um, I had a student write a whole album, wow. uh, which was fantastic and send me that for his uh, songwriting um, credits, which was great. Um, one of the things that Mensa did as a subject association was we very quickly appointed a digital kaiarahi and a kaiarahi is as, as a teacher. And we met as music teachers and stayed connected. And there were some seminars on how do you use Zoom, how do you use uh, BandLab, just right. just keeping each other connected. How do you use Zoom to teach an itinerant music lesson? Um, lots of yeah, online shops. One thing it did really expose was the inequity in schools. So. In New Zealand, we have a a decile system. So a decile 10 school has students who come from very high socioeconomic areas, so they're well resourced, and the students are are fairly privileged. And a decile one school is students who are way less privileged and those socioeconomic areas. Right. And so the kids in the decile one and two schools suddenly were at home, not necessarily with the internet or even a laptop or even a room to be able to sit and do a Zoom lesson, let alone an instrument. So a lot of the teachers from the lower decile schools literally packed their cars up with guitars and keyboards and safely delivered instruments to kids. So yeah, during an online discussion that it became really obvious that the kids from the decile team schools we're having a much better, much easier time than the kids from the decile one schools. So, it means it's kind of made a commitment to, to looking into that and how we can address some of the equity issues.
0: That's wonderful. The, the the exact same thing happened here in the United States. It's you know the very similar situation with technology and some school districts, like the city of Boston, bought Chromebooks for every single kid and delivered them to them so that they could keep learning. Um, So I'm interested in the technology side of things. How did you get into technology and what technology are you using with your students right now?
1: I'm um, what you would call an early adopter when it comes to technology. So my um, partner is actually a bit of a a nerdy geek and he's quite proud of that. He's a coder (laughs) and programmer. So I've always had like superb technical support. That's great. Um, My very first computer was a Mac Plus and it had 80 kilobytes of memory. And uh, I used that when I wrote my thesis on, on the music of the Cook Islands. And I remember using software called HB Engraver. And when I was transcribing some of the um, vocal music from the Cook Islands, HB Engraver didn't allow me to put in lyrics. So I had to literally chop the lyrics up into little tiny pieces of paper and stick them onto oh the score. My God. I just printed the score out. Which was a major mission, but um, I did it, and I've I've since found software obviously that does allow you to do lyrics. Um, In terms of music technology, at Auckland University, I did electronic music, and this is back in the 80s, so Mm -hmm. probably 84, 85. Um, And I learnt using analogue, big, huge synthesizers where you had to. Know, manipulate sound waves, and you had to patch from one thing to the next. And I um, also used tape and did cutting up of tape. Oh, and my tape goodness,
0: blitz. that's great. And
1: yeah, yeah, which is actually, I'm really glad I did that and didn't, you know, I haven't just lived in the digital world. Um, so I guess my primary pieces of software are uh, Ableton Live. I did some training on Ableton Live a great couple stuff. of years ago. I'm still a bit of a beginner. I really want to put more time into learning that because I see it's just such an amazing program. I keep looking at it and going, I feel like I've run all the way in that direction and I still haven't met the boundaries or yep. the, the, the edges of, of that software. Um, I use GarageBand a lot. I've got Macs in my classroom and teaching spaces and um, that's on all of those. We've got Logic Pro, um, what else are we using? tend to use band lab just mm-hmm. because that, that was a, a free piece of software. yep um, And note flights when we're doing notated work note flights the one we sort of we go to um, those pro- audacity a lot of the kids use audacity and yep. FL studio. So you're, you're
0: say, using everything everything <laughs> on it it's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I try. I'm not an expert in everything, but... Right. No, I, not, I don't think anyone is. And I and I love that you're probably the... approach. The more I talk to you, Jenny, the more similar I realize we are in that um, Ableton Live happens to be my personal favorite piece of software. And it's it just, it's extraordinary. It, it's like looking at somebody else's brain in some ways and going, oh my God, this is fascinating. I can't... How, what can I do with this? It's it's extraordinary, but you're basically um, giving students the opportunity to use whatever tool they probably feel more comf- most comfortable with to get the goal, whatever their goal is, accomplished.
1: That's pretty much it, yeah. work from their, their point of comfort, and then you can take them through to other things, Yep. but it's just just getting them comfortable with the idea of creating music to begin with. So whatever platform they prefer to use is what we use
0: that's great absolutely and and so you know you mentioned this the menza how do you i mean i you're probably again very similar to me in that uh, you, you, when you get a new piece of software when you find something like NoteFlight, how do you get trained do you i'd love to hear your approach to uh, learning more about the stuff
1: I pretty much use, I call it the sandpit approach, which is here's a sandpit, get in, start making things and see what happens. So it's quite um, organic. I was lucky enough to be selected as one of five teachers who, um, Martin Emo, is a significant music educator in New Zealand. Oh,
0: Martin's great. He's fantastic. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, He's doing his doctorate in digital music education um, directions. So he set up a scheme where he picked five teachers um, we had regular online lessons and then we had little bits of homework to do and we met face to face twice and he gave us all a push unit um, we had the access to the software and so that was how I kind of learned the Ableton side of life right my my issue is I need to have more um, contact with it because it's it's such a fantastic program that if you're not working with it Kind of consistently you'll forget how to do things, so that's one exactly. of my goals, exactly. <laughs> and then last year I was fortunate enough to um, work with Ableton Live to test some of these systems for giving access to schools, to the software, and also to push units, so I put a bit of time into um, doing interviews, and so I ended up with Ableton Live on most of my computers, and getting eight push units as well, push two units. So the kids are just busting those out of the cupboards all the time now. They're starting to see each other using them. And I'm getting the kids to teach each other. And I'm learning from the kids as well. And they're just so fearless. I'm scared about breaking something or doing something wrong. And they're fearless. They're just like, I'll just plug it in and see what happens. Oh, look, I made this happen. I've learned this. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely thing to see them discovering for themselves. It really is. And, and I what, what I love about
0: that is that as a teacher, and I think you have to be, I mean, we're almost the same age. Um, and so if I was still in the classroom, I would have been teaching now 30 years. Um, and what I noticed is that when you, mature enough, I think is the, the right word, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s. So I, I kind of let down that idea of I am the master of my classroom and I'm the boss. And, you know, this dictatorial position that a lot of teachers seem to grab onto either when they first start or throughout their career. But when I realized that it's okay to admit to the kids that they know more about certain things than you do. It was this freeing thing, and that my students, they, they when I said, for example, with Ableton Live, there, there are so many buttons, there's so many functions, and when a student, I teach, I teach Ableton Live to my graduate students, and when they ask me a question, and I, I don't know the answer, you know, I, I'm happy to say, actually, I have no idea, let's try and figure it out. Well, what would be the process to find out how, what this does? And then the students will say, oh, I'll, I'll figure it out and they'll go off and they'll come back and they say, all right, I figured it out. This is what it does. And it's this group learning um, rather than, you know, I am the master, I know everything. So uh, it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear others who, who have that same or similar kind of approach, because if you try to know everything, you're going to know nothing. <laughs>
1: exactly I've always been able to say I don't know let's work it out and I've always been able to say I'm sorry I was wrong to my students yeah yeah yeah
0: that that, that it is it's one of those things where it's like when when it's wisdom that comes with at least for me it took me a couple years to get there but once I did it was like (laughs) oh This is fantastic. So I have a couple of questions then, and then uh, I'm looking at the clock and we'll, we'll wrap up with, with, with one more in a second, but you know, New Zealand is not the biggest country in the world. And one of my dearest friends who worked for me for years is named Michael Avery. Um, Are you, do you know, Michael?
1: I don't know him personally, but I know of him and have a huge respect for him.
0: Yeah. So he, I mean, I hope he listens to this because he's from New Zealand and he was a bass player and got into music uh, software and then started lecturing about music technology. And then he was the genius behind all of the education software from Sibelius Um, and then moved off to London. And then he worked for us at Music First and he developed Music First Junior and Groovy um, and worked with Morton Subotnick. And there must be something in the water down there because it's just wonderful to hear this type of approach to music education that is very different than the United States, and it, I, I wish more people. I've been trying to get people over here to do what you're doing this comprehensive look at what music education can be, rather than just focusing on did they play the right notes at the right tempo uh, and get the right uh, score on a contest. But you know, it, everything has its place, and 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 all, but. Yeah, it's been it's been really wonderful um, chatting with you. So I I have one last question for you, and that is the magic wand. Now, you uh, do you use Soundtrap at all, or is it mostly NoteFlight and BandLab in terms of cloud-based software?
1: I have used Soundtrap as well, actually. Right. I, um, I did have Soundtrap up and running last year, and that was one of our kind of save my my ass
0: right. Program, yeah, to be honest. Yeah,
1: and, and so the magic wand question
0: I ask everybody, and I'm fascinated to hear what yours will be. If you could, and it doesn't have to be about Soundtrap, NoteFlight, or you know, any specific software, but if you could wave a magic wand and change something about music technology or, or a specific software title, what would it be?
1: Um, I would wish for a platform, maybe like Zoom, that allows musicians to be able to play together when you're not actually in the same space. I had a, my daughter turned 21, um, which is a significant birthday in New Zealand and it's usually celebrated with a big party and she lives in Wellington. So I invited a bunch of her friends to a Zoom party for her um, because we couldn't be together obviously and we were in separate bubbles as well. And we sang happy birthday to her and of course it was an absolute mess because you can't make music synchronously via Zoom. So I guess that would be a really cool thing if there was a way that we could practice a string quartet and all be in different houses and be able to play along with each other and be in sync in terms of the the timing. So I have good news
0: for you. There is a a brand new company um, called Real Time Audio. Um, and that's exactly what they've figured out. So they, uh, they're the same partner that works with us on a piece of software we have called Practice First. And what they have is basically they've through um, Raspberry Pi. And if you're, okay. I'm sure you, yeah. Through Raspberry Pi, you plug this device in and it eliminates the 300 millisecond delay. Um, so it is one, it is zero uh, latency. It is the sickest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it's extraordinary. You need an audio interface and this little Raspberry Pi uh, Raspberry Pi box. But once you do that, there isn't. And it, it's funny that you, it's, when when this whole th- COVID thing first happened, and, and unlike New Zealand, American schools have been in and out for a year. My, my daughter, my younger daughter, uh, both daughters, one in college, one's a junior in high school, they haven't been in their classroom in over a year, um, neither of them. So, you know, it, we, we've done a very different kind of... And, uh, whenever I train music teachers, that's the thing I do is we try to sing happy birthday and it, and it comes out sounding like a dog's dinner, as they say. <laughs> and, um, it's because of that. So yeah, real time audio, um, I'll send you a link, Jenny. Uh, it oh, is scheduling. a very, 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 very cool technology. And it's, uh, that those devices are, uh, going to be on the market very soon. So it's like bleeding edge. Anyway, wow, that's a fortune. it's, it's extraordinary. So, um, I, it's been an absolute delight chatting with you. We are very, very similar music educators, very similar mindsets, and uh, I'm I look forward, Jenny, to visiting New Zealand. It's one of the top places I'd like to uh, be as soon as they open the borders and allow us foreigners in. I've been I'm completely vaccinated. I'm ready. I'll, I'll come over, and uh, it'd be it'd be great to meet in person.
1: Funnily enough, today New Zealand and Australia have just opened our um, borders to each other without the need for quarantining. So, oh, wow, very good. There are hundreds of people flying to New Zealand right at this moment, and and hundreds of New Zealanders flying to Australia as well. So,
0: oh, that's fantastic. It's it, a little bit a, a little bit of returning to uh, normal? It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Jenny, thanks so very much. Uh, and what I'll do for all of our listeners, um, I will, uh, you know. Uh, if you have the, I certainly will post a link to Menza. Um, if, I don't know if you want Americans poking around, uh, but it would be great to uh, learn from you guys. Cause I, in, in my opinion, you're, you're really, uh, you're really doing some wonderful things over there. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And thank you for listening. And And that was a great chat and I look forward to meeting you as well.
0: Very good. All right. Take care Jenny. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.